Today, I'm going to be preaching on serving in unity. And, and as you can see on our five purposes, number three, service. We are called to serve together. So this is one of our values, one of our of cultures that we have in the church. And, and you know, I know Pastor Ian has, has always said, you know, if, if you're in the boat, let's row the boat together. And, and I'm really proud, as, as, you know, that as a church, you know, you've heard of, often of that rule, you know, 20% of the church does 80% of the work, but I'm so proud to say that in this church we're not the case, and, and hopefully, you know, that, that will continue. Um, but really what, what I wanted to speak about today is, is yeah, many of us, are ser- we are serving, and, that, you know, we're doing ministry, but what does it mean to do it together, to do it in unity, to be united in the purpose and the vision that God has given us? Um, and, and so... Yeah, I really wanted to, to just bring some focus to that. And, and the story I've chosen is from Matthew 20, 20 to, to 28, where Martin has read it out beautifully. And it, it's a story I think we've, we've all read it before, but we kind of don't really, you know, it's the verse where he says, oh, the first will be last, last will be first, right? But, but if we actually look at the context of the story, it's a little bit more drama in there, isn't it? Right? It, it's not, it, it's they're actually on the traveling of Jesus to Jerusalem. So it's actually towards the end of his ministry. And these guys have, the disciples have been together for, you know, three, almost three years, you know. And so, you know, um, there are times, like, like Joshua said, there can be fights, you know. Um, when you work with, with, with each other, all 12 disciples are so different, right? Um, and, and yeah, there are times where, where they were not unified. And, and so, you know, the disciples that, that, that were traveling with Jesus, you know, must have stopped in, in conversation. You know, they were happily traveling together, you know, road trip, and it's like suddenly, whoa, drama. Because you get, you know, you get, one of, you get the, a mother of two of the disciples come along and go, hey, Jesus, I want you to put two of my sons next to you when, when, when we are in heaven. And, um, you know, the, so everyone recognized her as the mother of James and John. You know, so when, when Jesus, Jesus asked her, what, what do you want? You know, so sit on your left and right. But actually, when you actually think about that request, it seems humble, doesn't it? It seems that she's, because she, she got on her knees and she was ask, asking this of Jesus. But that humble posture actually betrays actually a disrespectful request. Because it's saying, my two sons are more important than the rest of you. All right? That's why Matthew writes, and hearing this, the ten became indignified with the two brothers. And this is Matthew writing it. Matthew was one of the twelve. And it would have been stuck in his head. Because there, there, there were angry exchanges. There was hot temper. And I'm pretty sure if Jesus did not intervene at that time, this band of disciples who have been traveling with each other for three years would have fractured and probably disbanded at, on the road to Jerusalem. And that's why Jesus responded, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 
So today I just really want to talk about a few, uh, four points um, to help us serve together in, in unity. So number one is Christ-like servanthood is the key to unity. So what is the, what is the main thing that will hinder our unity? What is the, the main obstacle to unity? You know, we know the answer is Christ-like servanthood it, that will help it. What is the opposite of servanthood? It's pride. Self-centered, self-boasting, self-glorifying pride is the primary way of human existence. It is the fuel for division. It's the train operator that de- derails whole churches from their mission while leaving spiritual carnage scattered across the city. Every local church faces many threats, doesn't it? False teaching and persecution threatens from without, from outside the church. But the one that threatens from within the church is selfish pride. And the Apostle Paul saw such a threat brewing in Philippi. The church in Philippi was faithful in their partnership with Paul in the gospel. His earnest desire was to see them continue unified in their mission of bringing the gospel to their city. Paul writes to the Philippians, only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whenever I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And then later in his letter, he directs attention to lessening this threat. He gives the solution of how you do that before it wrecks um, havoc in the church. It says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Philippians 2, 3. So there's your answer. The model and power of Christian unity It's not in everyone thinking the same way. It's not being clones, being robots that all does the same thing. The unity is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it's only when we imitate his unparalleled humility and we strive to be like him, that is when it would bring unparalleled unity in our mission and in our church. And... You know, it's easy to say, yep, I'm humble. I'm pretty sure a lot of us think, yep, I'm humble. A, a joke between Mikey is always that um, he likes to, he would, he would like to set up a church called the Humble Church. And um, <laughs> I'm not sure how, how well that will work. <laughs> but, you know, we, humility is something that, that is, true humility is something that's difficult to come by, isn't it? Because often we are, um, yeah, we, we struggle with pride if we're honest with ourselves. But I think a few questions we can ask ourselves to, in a sense, measure our, our humility is questions like, do you want to diffuse explosive divisions? Do you want to confront or, or resolve any division that you see among, with your, um, between yourself and other people or between other people? Do you want to find healing for a fractured family? 
Do you want to see a culture change in your home? Are you at odds with someone in church or find yourself on one side of affection? These are hard questions to ask ourselves. But imitating Jesus will produce the most fruit in bringing harmony and peace. And so how can we adopt the same mindset as Jesus is expressed in Philippians 2, 5? So that, that, so point one, Christ-like servanthood is the key to unity. Number two, second point I would like to make that will help in unity is don't cling on, don't cling to your own glory. Philippians 2.6 says, who, talking about Jesus, who, although he exists in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus was God. Jesus is God. But he did not exploit his supreme position when he came to die for our sins. His journey to atone for our sins on the cross began in heaven in the full glory of his deity. But he did not cling to his deity for selfish ends. Because if he did, he would not have come to this world to save us. The word form, the form of God, the word form refers to the outward appearance that displayed what something truly is. Jesus exists in the glory and splendor of deity in the second person of the Trinity. He shared the supreme position with the Father and the Spirit. But yet, when he came onto earth, he clothed himself with our humanity. But he, and he did, not exploit, but he did not exploit his deity for his own personal interest. Because he could come as a king. He could have come in glory and in, in have the riches of the world and have it, you know, have it easily you know, get through life. But instead, he embraced the mission of the incarnation and accepted the humble mission of the cross. So what can we take away from that? The principle we must follow is that we are not to consider our advantages, our position, or gifts, as something for our own glory. Whatever God has gifted us, whatever God has put in our lives, it's, it's, for, it's an asset to serve others. And whether you, you're a founding member, a pastor, a generous giver, or respected deacon, we cannot resort to do you know who I am mentality, especially when we're in conflict with each other. We don't demand respect. We don't refuse my new um, task that is beneath us. Because when we think in terms of spiritual gifts, we should remember that, all, that the purpose of all spiritual gifts is not selfish enjoyment, but, the profit for, but for the profit of other members of God's family. Jesus' incarnation, life, death, and resurrection was to save us from self-glory and to deliver us from sinful, treacherous idolatry. Christ's work on our behalf gives us the power to live for the good of others. 
in the glory of God. So number two is don't cling on to your own glory. Now, my point number three can be quite controversial. It's a term that, that in, in today's PC world we don't like, isn't it? And it says to take on the basis mindset, which is slave. And yes, sla- slavery has been abolished. And, you know, and the exploitation of, of you know, um, the poor, and, and it's, it's, not, it's wrong. But it's talking about the mindset, not, not the being a slave, right? Because in Philippians 2.7, it says about Jesus, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of God. Because when you think about it, God in his deity taking on human form is basically being a slave, being enslaved to the human condition, right? He took the lowest status of slave, the Lord and Master of all became the slave of all. The word emptied has caused a great deal of debate over the centuries among theologians. But the better explanation includes render to no effect or laid aside rights and privilege. Right? To be clear, God did not stop being God. I think the best way to define the word is in its context. The two phrases that shows what it means. The first is taking the form of a bond servant. We have the same word form in verse 6. The form of the thing is the thing. Let me say it again. The form of the thing is the thing. Jesus became a servant. And the word born servant is always better translated as slave from the Greek. Jesus did what humans regard as unthinkable. And we consider slavery unthinkable. Second, he took on human flesh. I want you to to spend a moment there to just think of what God rendered to no effect. What rights and privileges he laid aside. To, to take on human form. Because the one who could have rightfully claimed the highest position in human history and justly received supreme honor, he deliberately sought the lowest position and submitted himself to extreme humility, uh, humiliation. So for me, what we can take away from, from Jesus' example, that even though we might have a high social position in the community, a leadership position in the church, or even earn a prestigious degree, but when we look at other believers, our hearts should want to serve them. Because again, Jesus is our power. And by the the power of the, our indwelling spirit. By the indwelling spirit, we can disregard any earthly status and take on the attitude, the mindset of a slave. And just and lastly, kind of a continuation of, of the third point. Number four, 
obediently serve even in the most belittling task. Philippians 2.8 says this, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was obedient to the Father in the mission of saving sinners, even to the point of embracing the most shameful situation. For God to take the form of man could be considered a great indignity in of itself, excuse me. He, he, being equal to God, became the slave of God. And, but actually, if when you look at, the, at Roman history, in, in the Roman world, the lead slave of a king would still be considered by many a great man. While David was king, he was certainly the slave of Yahweh. While um, well, I, well, Isaiah was, was a great prophet among men, he was a slave to God. But Jesus' descent, con- but Jesus descent continues by being o- obedient to the point of death. This self-humbling is the voluntary submission to another. Likewise, obedience is volunteering doing what someone greater commands. But again, many soldiers would give their lives for their country, president or general. They would run into battle, or if captured, they would die rather than betray a secret. But Jesus' humility went even further when he went to the cross. The Roman... Um, uh, oh, Cicero, the Roman... Um, how do you say what? Yes, mind blank, sorry. The Roman philosopher Cicero, he said this, to bind a Roman citizen is a crime. To flock him is an abomination. To slay him is almost an act of murder. To crucify him is what? There is no fitting word to describe so horrible a death. This is a Roman talking about crucifixion. The most heinous of, of acts. That's why to the Roman citizens of Philippi, the cross would emphasize the absolute degradation of Christ's humanity. He descended to the lowest rung of the ladder, down from the position of, of um, noble, down from the position of noble radiance of deity, down from lordship, to slavery, down from creator of flesh to flesh created, down from noble humanity to humble obedience, down from humble obedience to obedience to death, down from noble death to the humiliating death of the cross. So this should be the example of Christ going to the cross, that should snuff out the fires of our selfish ambition. Jesus, the Lord of, the Lord of all, died the most shameful death to save 
vile and guilty sinners. But here too is the power. If Jesus stooped so low to save me, how can I not be fully satisfied in his love and grace? Especially in the midst of conflict where I might be belittled. How can I not eagerly try to initiate ways to serve that brings me no attention or advance my personal agenda? But I know this is quite a heavy topic that I've talked about, but when we look, so we, that passage in Philippians, but it round, the Apostle Paul rounds out the section with the exaltation of Christ. All right? And, and if we could read it together, Chris, you could put that up. So let's read this together. Philippians 2, 9 to 11. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that, that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So, you know, what I've talked about, humbling ourselves, being a slave, in this life, in this world, we have the promise and we have the hope that God will exalt us, will, sh- will share in the inheritance that Jesus has. And uh, that's our future hope and our future promise. So with that in mind, we can have that mindset of being a slave, of being a servant towards others. And that is our worship. That is our submission to the exalted Savior who did the same for us. So uh, can I get the worship team to come up? And we're going to take communion together. I want us to, I hope it's been a challenging message um, to us. It's, It's not about saying, oh, everyone, you need to do more. No, it's not about that. It's more about checking our hearts day by day. Even for me, you know, especially being, standing on a platform and checking your pride day by day. It's not a one-off event, one-off decision where you go, yep, I've dealt with my pride. We will d- be dealing with this to the day we meet Jesus face to face. It's just, a, I want us to, to remind us. So as we take communion, I would love us to, to kind of take some time to examine our own hearts.